0: You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. In talking about this book, uh, talk next slide, please. Talk about uh, unbelievable. We're going to look at a quick video, which is by Justin Brearley himself, and it's about a part of the book. We're going. To, I'm going to then talk about the why, not just the what introduce you to the concept of apologetics talk about how christianity is true and finish with what's next so we've got a lot to cover so let's kick off uh next slide thanks so justin really is a, a radio, hosts a radio program on a uk radio station a christian radio station and um, he in this program once a week he has two people on one is a Christian and one is not a Christian and they have a conversation about a particular topic which changes from week to week. And he hosts it, he's um, very peaceful, he gets on well with both sides and it's not a conflict, it's not a debate. It's a conversation where people talk about why they hold to the particular views that they hold. Anyway, he's been doing this for quite a while. After 10 years, next slide, he wrote this book which was published in 2017. And the subtitle on the book is, Why After 10 Years of Talking to Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. Now, the short answer to that that he gives is that uh, he found the arguments for Christianity more satisfying than the arguments against. The book is uh, quite readable. Uh, it's a good intro book to this area. It Some of the, the chapters deal with fairly complex and technical things, but he is a, um, a communicator. He is a television, uh, sorry, a radio a broadcaster. So he's used to communicating, and he communicates the book pretty well. Uh, these are the chapters. I'm not going to go through each uh, individual chapter, uh, each, but it's enough to know that in each chapter he addresses uh, key critical atheist um, criticisms of Christianity. And he finishes with the, the chapter nine, the last one, uh, asking the reader what they're going to do now that they've read the book. Essentially, that's what he's doing. It's a readable book. It's a good book. Uh, it's worth a read. I would uh, in, I would encourage anybody who uh, is thinking about this sort of thing to start with this book. But I'm not going to go and summarize every chapter. What we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a video. Now, the video in this video, he deals with one Tiny aspect of chapter two, but the but the video demonstrates both the technical nature of some of what he's talking about, but also the easy way in which he communicates. So, can we try the video? So, that's uh, that's really unfortunate. You should have come to the earlier service. It worked perfectly then. Um, what really it does is that. Uh, He talks about a particular aspect of the fine-tuning of the universe which means that there are things, basic things about the universe which are so precise that if they were varied by the smallest amount, life could not exist. What he's talking about is the expansion rate of the universe. If it was, if the universe like we, one of the theories about the beginning of the universe is that there was a big bang and everything started in a tiny spot, it blew up and moved out in the expanding universe. The rate at which it expands, if it was just a little bit faster, then there would be no stars or anything. If it was a little bit slower, then it would all have collapsed back in on itself. And the odds of it behaving and doing this is 1 by 10 to the 55 which means that the odds are so astronomical that it's impossible. And he talks about rolling a dice. It's the same as if you rolled a dice 70 times in a row, you got six 70 times in a row. One of the things that he says is that he doesn't believe that that, that is uh, possible and he, and he says you shouldn't believe either that it's possible. But if, if you've just if he just sat down there and rolled the dice 70 times in a row and six every time, you would correctly assume that the dice was loaded or that there were six on every face of the dice. You would not believe that he could have just fluked it first go. And yet, that's what people say happened with the creation of the universe, that he just fluked it the first go, um, we've got life and everything. In essence, the odds of, of life, the universe and everything happening is almost infinity to one. It is absolutely impossible, uh, mathematically speaking, for life to exist on this planet, for this planet to exist, for the universe to exist. It's just unbelievable. And... Uh, Uh, And unfortunately that video didn't work but I wanted to show the video because he deals with a technical, a complex technical issue and deals with it in an understandable way. And I wanted to show the video so that you could get a taste for what the book is like without me having to go through the book and say in this chapter he does this and in this chapter he does that. So um, you'll just have to take my word for it that uh, he does it uh, reasonably well. In the book, the last chapter, chapter 9, he finishes by challenging us why, what are we going to do now that we've had all this information, that we've read this book, and, uh, and what are we going to do next? So that's why I've got the word why up there. Because why bother with a book like this? People will say, I believe in Jesus, isn't that enough? Why do I have to stretch my brain with stuff like this? Why should I waste my time on this unimportant stuff? I read the Bible. Why should I read anything else? So let me tell you a story. Uh, Once, many, many years ago, I was at a social function and uh, a person quite unexpectedly asked me, how can an intelligent person like you believe in God? Now you know how conversations move at things like that you've got a few seconds to get your thoughts in order how would you have answered that question i'll give you a few seconds okay time's up have you got an answer i'll tell you what i said and you can compare it to what answer you've got in your mind he said how can an intelligent person like you believe in god i said huh Oh, uh, gee, I guess I just do. Now, you may have picked up that that was not a particularly brilliant response. In my defence, it was many, many years ago, but nobody who was there and who heard me respond to that thought, wow, I need to know more about this Christianity stuff. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 13, verse 15, says, But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Friends, I was woefully unprepared. I was not ready to give a reason. And when I said to you, how would you answer the question, if you didn't have an answer pop straight into your head, you also are woefully unprepared. And that's why, I mean, I determined that I was not going to be caught out like that again and that's why I read books like this and have done for many, many years to give myself answers and, and statements and reasons for believing in Christianity and in God and in Jesus Christ so that if, if and when the need arises, I have got something to say. There are many Christians who grow up in a Christian home They are influenced by their parents, by their peers and they are, to all intents and purposes, Christians. But they have no real idea why they are Christians. And when challenged, they cannot justify it. Even worse, they hear some slick sounding atheist argument and they toss their faith away altogether. In the parable of the sower Jesus refers to these back one please back one thank you in the parable of the sower Jesus refers to these Christians as the ones who have received the word but because they were on rocky soil or among thorns they lost their way there was no grounding for their belief nothing for them to hang on to to help them deal with the thorns or rocks that's Probably the most important reason why it is to know why you believe. Not so you can answer some smart-ass, sorry, some smart aleck at, uh, at a party. <laughs> Look, I've been an army chaplain for a long time. Sometimes it slips out. Um, but at least I've woken you all up now. So, not so much so that you can answer somebody with a question at a party, so that you are able to withstand the attacks that come our way so that you are able to stand firm in your faith but also and perhaps even more importantly so you can help others stand firm in their faith if we are all uneducated and don't know why how are we going to help anybody else next slide There are Christians who do not have a good understanding of why they are Christians. They're like the people that Paul talks about in Ephesians 14. They're like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The son of a friend of mine grew up in a Christian home. Uh, He went to church. He was baptised. He said and did all the right to Christian things. When he finished school, as young men do, he left home. some point in time, he read this book by Christopher Hitchens called God is Not Great, subtitled How Religion Poisons Everything. Uh, Peter, uh, Christopher Hitchens writes very well. His book is full of untruths, but he writes them very well. This young man lost his faith reading this book. I recommended to his dad that he gets his son to read this book, which was written by Christopher's brother Peter. Peter was an atheist and uh, he became a Christian. The subtitle of his book is How Atheism Led Me to Faith. And basically pointing out all the weaknesses in atheism essentially the errors of his brother's book. The young man hasn't read this book yet. His parents hope that he will and that he will come back. But right now he is lost in a non-Christian lifestyle because he did not have the why he believed. He just believed this stuff and then when some smooth-sounding argument came up and said, hey, this is a better thing to believe, he lost his faith. There was no root, no grounding. It is incredibly important that we know why we believe, not just so that we don't lose our faith, but so that we can help others to be strong in their own faith. Everyone needs to own their own faith and to understand why they believe. In so doing, we are then prepared, not just for the questions that others ask, but also for the issues that life throws at us and to be able to help others who need it. Unbelievable is not on its own. It's not the only book that's ever been written in this topic. It's part of a, a genre called apologetics, a category of books, category of, of arguments that is concerned with defending or proving the truth of Christian doctrines. Unfortunately Christians today have been so influenced by society by the negativity towards the church and religion and even evangelical Christians like us we think that the church is about faith and atheism is about facts you've probably heard something along those lines the church is about faith science is about facts we're dealing with two totally different areas of life And there's no crossover. Even worse, society says things like, oh, it's just all about blind faith. It's believing without evidence. Or even harsher, to be a Christian, you need to leave your brain at the door of the church when you walk in. Have you heard any of those things? Yes, or am I the only one who reads, you know, Peter Hitchens and Christopher Hitchens' books? Those are the sorts of things that are said about Christians. And the church does not provide us with the teaching that we need. What the church globally, not, I'm not talking specifically about Burley here, I'm talking about the church universal. What it has done is that it has forgotten that Christianity is true. It's the one thing that puts us over every other belief system. Even, and I'm not talking about true in a sense, oh, it's true for me but not true for you. Christianity is true. Even if nobody believes in Christianity, Christianity is still true. Christianity describes reality as it actually is. And we have lost that. We have lost that confidence that Christianity is true and because we've lost that confidence when people we you know we just are quiet we don't blow our own trumpet we don't talk about it because oh you know it's just one amongst many beliefs. The best answer to why are you a Christian is because it's true. Mind you instantly the uh, unbeliever says, yeah, but everybody says that, so you still need to have an answer as to the evidence. But I've had lots of these sorts of conversations, and you say to someone, are you interested in the evidence for Christianity? And, I don't know, vast majority of them say, no, I'm not. What we have to deal with is not just ignorance of the church, but indifference. But at least that gives you an opportunity to say, So I believe in God based on real evidence but you believe something because you want it to be true and you don't want to look at any evidence. Um, That's a fairly aggressive sort of thing. You can get away with that when you're talking to soldiers. Probably not quite so good if you're going to talk to your grandmother or the lady next door or something. But, you know, that's the thing. We Christians believe because of evidence there are reasons for our belief real reasons concrete reasons and books like unbelievable are full of those concrete reasons and that's why apologetics is so important it's about defending or proving the truth of christianity really's book is only one of many here are some other examples and I think some of these will be in the library when it opens. Timothy Keller, The Reason for God. This is a brilliant book. It's much more technical and harder to read, but it is brilliant. I bought several copies for my family because it was so good. The next one is Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. This was first published in 1930, sold millions of copies. Uh, Next one is Know Why You Believe by Paul Little. This is a classic, came out in uh, 1967. He was the first person to point out that knowing why you believe is as important as knowing what you believe. Uh, Lee Strobel, one of my favourite current authors, uh, written a number of books in this area and another book that seems to have been around forever is Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The latest versions are written by Josh and his son Sean. Now please note this is nowhere a comprehensive list. There are dozens and dozens of authors writing in this area and I haven't mentioned Ravi Zacharias or C.S. Lewis or John Lennox or any of the other you know well-known names that are writing in this area but the point is that there are more resources and, and as I said in the church library many of these books will be there but the reason for knowing why you believe is so important and not just simply about chance encounters with atheists at a party. It's about the spiritual strength of individual Christians and it's about the life and health of the church. If more people in the church were familiar with the sorts of arguments found in apologetics books, then the church would not be hemorrhaging young people at the rate it is doing today. Now I practice my sermons before I bring them here and um, the person that I practiced on this one was my young son Oh, well, he's 29. I suppose he's not so young anymore. But when I said that sentence, he said, that's a really good sentence. Repeat it. So I'll repeat that sentence for you. If more people in the church were familiar with the sorts of arguments found in apologetics texts, then the church would not be hemorrhaging young people at the rate it is doing today. I was talking to a woman just recently, and she said to me, my grandson comes home from school, he's in high school, my grandson comes home from high school and he's got all these questions and all these things that he's learning and I don't have any answers for him. If more young people read books like this, then books by people like christopher hitchens would not have that impact on young lives if more older people in the church read books like this then we would have the answers for those young people when they have the questions that's why it's so important for the life and health of the church for the growth of the church to stop the the um look at look around us you know i know this is the second service But the young people in the church, they leave home, they go to university. They've already been indoctrinated at school and they go to university and they get more indoctrination. They read all these things, their peers are telling them it's rubbish and they don't know why they believe and they don't know anybody who does know why they believe and so they leave the faith. Ephesians chapter 4, I mentioned earlier. Here's the verse in context. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the preachers and the teachers. And the reason that Christ gave them, their purpose of these these, uh, gifted people that Christ gave the church, is shown in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ, that's us, the members of the church, So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Becoming a Christian is not something that just happens at baptism and that's it. Becoming a Christian is a lifelong journey. Be preparing us for the next life, growing in knowledge and maturity as Christians, so that we will no longer be infants, you know, but be adult, mature Christians. We we'll no longer be infants, not little children, but grown people who think like little children. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. C.S. Lewis said that uh, if all the world were Christian, it wouldn't matter if there were uneducated Christians. But because we live in a world with so many opposed to Christianity, we need to be armed with knowledge and the spirit to defend ourselves and others from the attacks of the enemy. He specifically said good philosophy, back one... Good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered. The Hitchenses and the Dawkinses and so on, they're the ones that are publishing the bad philosophy. It's reinforced in our universities and schools. And if our young people and if our old people and if our middle people are not aware of good philosophy, then bad philosophy reigns. Thank God for the apologists who provide the answers to the bad philosophy. These were the goals that I had set for today. To talk to you a little bit about Unbelievable and recommend it and encourage, it, encourage you to read it. To uh, look at the video, unfortunately didn't achieve that goal. Talk about the why not just the what, how important it is for us to believe why we believe. Introduce you to the topic of apologetics and encourage you to investigate that area. To talk about how Christianity is true, how it is really true. And then to address the question, what next? Chapter 9, the last chapter in Brearley's book, asks the question, effectively are you how important is Christianity for you a couple of hours a week on a Sunday or does it shape your life he uses the analogy of uh, putting on spectacles or sunglasses when you do that your view of the world changes Christianity uh, should affect the way we view the world does Christianity does your Christianity shape the way you view the world Is it important enough for you to want to keep growing in your faith? Often when you hear a sermon, at the end of the sermon, that's it, finished, great, go and have a coffee and a cake and go home. But this sermon is going to be different because I'm going to give you some homework. Or if homework has negative connotations for you, I'm going to give you a challenge. Can you, over the next week or two, work out how you would answer that question? Why do you believe in God? Why are you a Christian? Not because I'm asking you, but because Peter says we should all be able to do that. Not because I think it's a good idea, but because if you don't know why you are a Christian, you are vulnerable and you're not able to help those around you. When you've worked out an answer, now, this doesn't have to be like a complex argument. It could just simply be because the odds are against it or because, you know, the, the earth is too complicated or some simple answer. But you need to have an answer as to why. When you have worked out why, come and talk to me tell me what your why is tell others what your why is and listen to their whys if we if everybody in this room had a why some of them would be similar but some of them would be different we could learn from each other we could grow if you're in a bible study group or meet with a group of friends and get a book like this and talk about it as a uh, as part of your book club do a chapter every meeting Do something so that you will stretch yourself and that you'll grow in the faith and that you will... And if you're not in a book club or that, start one. Go and do it. When you've worked out why you believe, I'd really love to hear your reasons. And if you tell me your reasons, then I'll tell you mine. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for people like Justin Brearley and the book that he writes Thank you for all those who try to help us to understand the why of our faith. Pray, Lord, that through your spirit you would inspire us to seek out our own answers and help us grow and become more mature as Christians. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.